Hi everyone and welcome to our new era podcast. If you would like to contact us, you can reach out to us through our website, which is www.neweraPropertySolutions.co.uk, or you can call us in the office on 01886 834 800, or you can grab us at our Facebook page, which is the HMO Community Group. everyone and welcome back to the podcast and we have got an exceptional guest with us today and I'm really really excited that we have got the one and only Mr. Julian Maurice on the podcast today and Julian for those of you who don't know him is um, at the very top end of his field he's an interior designer and a property investor and a HMO business owner so when it comes to getting the maximum rent from your properties through the interior design work then Julian is the man Julian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. That's really kind of you. I'd say you've overbigged me up there. But, uh, <laughs> not at all. No, not I'll, at all. I'll, I'll, I'll be modest and say I think that's very kind of you, but I'm I'm not as you know. I'm I'm just. I think you're being a little <sighs> bit too humble there, Julian. But thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so, Julian. Thanks for coming along. And as I say, we've got loads of listeners that are really, you know, sort of chomping at the bit, wanting to learn a little bit more about yourself and a little bit more of, you know, what, what it is that you do. So can you just give us a, a brief sort of resume, if you like, of, of your experience in, in the interior design industry and then obviously that's, that's flown over and come over into the property world? Okay. Uh, first of all, I, I, I only recently really started thinking of myself as an interior designer. My... I guess my skill set is in is I'm I'm a creative person. I'm artistic. I did a lot of graphic design when I was younger. Um, unfortunately, um, I found it quite difficult to find work in graphic design. So, um, and I think uh, so. I kind of went travelling for a while, um, and uh, I started in 1997 when I came back. I started in a state agency. Um, and then went into lettings, uh, and then went into sourcing. Um, but I, I guess I, for someone that's a, 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 desi- a creative person, if you're if you're not doing the right thing, it can be fairly soul destroying. And I never really enjoyed doing that kind of work too much. It was just a means of bringing in income. I like dealing with people. I liked the kind of interaction that you get. But when I did sourcing, I actually kind of started really enjoying doing the refurbs for people. And I, because I was able to um, exercise a bit of creativity when I did the work and people tended to react to it. And uh, it was it was the property boom. And I, I got the attention of a few local um, letting agents who started just flooding work, refurb work my way. Um, and so I very quickly went from sourcing just to doing refurbs and just ended up um, ha- working as a contractor. I had uh, a few subcontractors working with me. Um, then the property market crashed. And in the north, in Leeds, uh, it was really severe. And my work just dried up from a project. I was I was essentially project managing these these uh, refurbs for people and the work dried up. Um, I spent a couple of years just getting some residual work, furnishing work and doing show homes and things. And it was just kind of still recommendation, but just through word of mouth. And as the work dried up, I decided to do a bit of 
training and I did some trade skills. So I learned to become a plumber, did some joinery work, plastering, spent a couple of years doing some trade training, um, started doing refurbs myself. And then I started going to property networking meeting and started getting work again, doing refurbs for HMO owners. It built up and then I started uh, buying property myself. So that's kind of the the, the the property side of things. I mean, there are other things. It's the design stuff, but I won't go into that now because I'm sure you're going to ask me questions about that. But uh, that's the kind of long and short of it, really. That's amazing. I mean, I didn't realise that you had so many skills. I mean, you know, sort of a a, a toolbox all in one, really. You know, one man, a one-man band, almost. That's fantastic, mm-hmm. Julian. And I know that I've, I've had a little look on your LinkedIn profile, as any as any ex-police officer would do. Uh, and I see on there that I'm you... I'm glad I didn't mention everything <laughs> that I've done in the past. So. <laughs> Not too much. Um, you went travelling, um, and I think you went to Europe, didn't you, in the 90s? And you, you, you spent quite a lot of time travelling in, in Europe. What did you do there? Okay. Uh, This is where I might get into a bit of trouble. Um, (laughs) I I have a passion for music and I, uh, a friend of mine uh, had a couple of record decks. I was living in Marbella at the time uh, and he got a couple of record decks and I touched them and it was like, I just knew that I wanted to play music, you know, and just DJ and and, and because I loved the music and I loved what you could do when you're mixing records together. Uh, and so I just, I did that for a quite a while. Um, but I was more a kind of rave, rave DJ. But in between that, you have to earn money. So I would, I actually got some work with a Spanish, uh, I, there's a Spanish uh, group of Spanish people that owned a, a club that I used to DJ at. And then in this, in the winter months when, when uh, everyone went home, they used to do developing. And so I got work with them on site doing things like painting, decorating, and just working with their team. Uh, and I saw it as a good opportunity to learn Spanish as well, because I didn't speak a word of English. So it was great for me because in Marbella, you can very easily mix just with English people. Um, and i I, I kind of got away from that and started to learn the language and so on and so forth. So kind of that's what I did when I was traveling. Then I moved actually before that I lived in uh, northern Italy in Tuscany and did up a house with uh, my then girlfriend who was uh, she had a couple of hit records. And so she she'd got some money and bought, bought this place in Tuscany that was totally run down. So I'm trying to work out of, now in the 90s uh, what, what female we would know that's got a couple I'd of hit probably, records. Yeah, she probably wouldn't know her, but it was like, um, it was um, rare groove type, you know, funk right. and stuff. So, but then, uh, so yeah, it was good fun. I had a lot of fun and I, uh, luckily I kind of was able to learn how to stand on my own two feet, use my own initiative, not be afraid of, you know, of, of, of going outside of my comfort zone. Uh, and so, and, and, and understanding the fact that I could rely on myself if, if, uh, you know, if I needed to. So that's kind of what I learned when I was traveling. I didn't have you down as a rave DJ. Oh, big time. <laughs> you learn something new every day. What's, I mean, what sort of music are you into now? Oh, well, I listen to everything. Um, I'm, it depends on what mood I'm in. I can listen to, I've got, if you look at my, um, if you look at my uh, um, Spotify playlist, I've got, I mean, embarrassingly, I've got Barbara Streisand um, <laughs> and I've got, you know, hardcore drum and bass from so yeah. so very very um um subject to the mood you're in at the time oh yeah big time i'm my, unfortunately my my mother passed away last year and i spent probably a good six months just listening to very you know uh, uh quite da- uh, you know dreary mm. um just 
uh, ambient music because I was just in that kind of dark place that you know depressed state but it helped me i guess so music uh, i love music i love music i kind of and and if you kind of hear me pulling up to a pin meeting with really loud jungle music playing out the car <laughs> yeah that's me we've just got um i don't know if you've heard of a alexa um it's a little gizmo that you can plug into the internet oh, yeah. and, and it kind of almost like controls your house for you and we just bought one of these um and i do very much like yourself julia i really enjoy my music plays a huge part of my life and always has done and and this little gadget is just awesome you just tell it to play anything and it just plays it i don't know if you've uh, if you've got one if you haven't get hold of one i think they're awesome Mm, I've got Spotify and I love Spotify. I've discovered loads of music from from just letting it choose stuff for me. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So, I mean, that's a little bit about your background. So thank you for sharing all of that. It sounds like you had an awesome time. Um, So talking about, you know, where we are at the moment, are you working on any projects currently? Yes. Uh, I've got my own uh, little HMO that I'm kind of, I'd say 75% of my way through uh, completing. There's that one. And I work with a lot of uh, property investors who um, I just help um, with interior design and and layout planning and uh, just kind of helping them as they're going through projects. So I'm working with an investor that's turning a commercial unit into 12 uh, studio flats uh, and I'm just really just kind of I guess the interior designer on that one um, and when you say interior designer I think a lot of people kind of imagine somebody that walks around in a frilly shirt and starts looking at cushions and bedding and so on I'm kind of in it at the very early conceptual stage looking at the architect's drawing and looking at how the space works looking at ways of maximizing the space but making it a better space for people to live in so look at ways of adding um, moving things around so you kind of make it better um, from a kind of make sure the furniture fits in the right place make sure the switches and sockets and lights are right add some kind of nice little touches and features in there Um, so that's the kind of thing that I do and then I kind of liaise with the contractors um, as everything starts going they kind of they kind of email me or message me saying Julian we're choosing the paints what should we do here and are you sure about that switch or that that light fitting can we add a thing there so that's the kind of thing that i'm doing with um a few people at the moment and um and then i guess crisis management i get a few investors that get themselves into a bit of a pickle uh and they kind of come to me saying julian we've kind of got a problem with the this person or we we kind of got to this stage and we're having a bit of an issue can you help out and i kind of i, I guess what's they call it fire put out fires i guess in so terms of, of that. what julian in terms of um helping them with with um well with- i'll just give you an example i had a lady today who had bought has bought a property in the midlands she's based in singapore uh she was using a sourcing agent and they had their own builder um and uh, she's totally lost control of the situation she doesn't even know the right questions to ask so she's getting incredibly stressed out she doesn't know whether she's paying the builder for the work in the right way she's lost communication with the agent because they're fed up she was fed up with them just taking her money and not actually doing anything for it she lost confidence with the builder uh she's not getting any communication with him Uh, and so i've had to kind of take her hand and just kind of start looking at things and kind of i guess unraveling the mess 
and just kind of looking at things and to say, right, this is what we've got in front of us. Let's try and put this now. So let's start trying to make sure that you don't keep on making mistakes and uh, and and solve the problem. So, you know, that's the thing that I have, have on, on the odd occasion. And it always seems to come up just before I'm taking a holiday. Typically. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, 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 you know, I, there's a lot of people that get themselves into quite a lot of trouble. Um, and I think it's just a lack of knowledge, really, that does it and, and, and not being able to ask the right questions. Um, and, and unfortunately, that's just how it is. Um, uh, yeah. That's, Sometimes, that's a- you know, I mean, I don't know about yourself, but we, we get a lot of questions from relatively new investors about refurbishment costs. And they say, well, you know, can you give me a ballpark figure on what it will turn a, a, a house into a five or a six bedroom HMO? And my sort of response to that is, well, you know, how long is a piece of string? Have you got any advice, Julian, that you could you could share when people look at properties on on, on how much, you know, a, an average conversion to a small HMO would be? No. It's a difficult it's, one. It's a quick it? answer. I can't. I mean, if you really don't have the knowledge to be able to accurately judge how much a project is going to cost, then you're going to come out uh, having a, a rather inaccurate guess. And that's what it comes down to, isn't it? And that's where a lot of people do get stuck. So my generic response to that would be to people, you know, if you're not sure, every house is different, the makeup is different, you don't know whether there are any structural issues, you don't know um, if the, the, the property needs a rewire just by looking at it, etc. So the best thing that I think people could do at that stage is to take somebody along with them on a, maybe a second viewing to give them a more educated uh, idea of what the costs are likely to be. Yes, and pay them for it. Absolutely, because nobody works for free. Well, they do, but if they do work for free, then you're much more likely to get some bad advice. Absolutely. Yes, very much so. Julian, let's talk a little bit about, so you um, you do the developments. Now, I know that this is um, something that you're quite passionate about and something that you're quite happy to share on some of the the, the Facebook forums. And we've, I think, yourself and I have maybe had some banter about this over the years, but what is your view on ensuite rooms for HMO properties? <coughs> <laughs> I'm not passionate about it. Um, I've just never, I've never specified them as a default position. Um, my opinion is not my opinion. My experience with uh, ensuite rooms is they're expensive. They are potentially. Uh, costly from a from a um, from a ongoing maintenance perspective, so that's my I guess my overriding thought on putting in on suites. Um, they require quite complicated and expensive um, plumbing systems to actually get them to work properly, and in my mind, they turn what is a family dwelling into a um, into a commercial vehicle um and as an estate agent when i started in a state agency in 1997 the properties that we really struggled selling were the properties that a landlord had chopped up into lots of little rooms and studios and it had fallen into disrepair so my fear when investing in property is having something that ultimately is just going to become um, a, a rope around my neck and is going to be a liability rather than an asset. So I'm looking at things from a much 
taking a much longer term view on this. And I think people look at on suites as being a very short term um, um, fit or short term benefit without really understanding the long-term consequences of, of, of actually changing the whole, um, the whole uh, um, use of that, of, of that property. Uh, and I've seen what happens in the longer term. So I, would avo- I try to avoid that, that, that scenario by not putting them in. I, I will put them in if, 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 they, if, they, if financially – um, from a product perspective, they are required. So my typical um, my typical ratio is one bathroom between three. Um, and if you need to put in a, another bathroom, it would preferably be not not be an ensuite because then it's a shared facility between everybody. Um, but it, some properties it has to be an ensuite because the room that you need to put it in is is, is a distance away from the main bathroom, and it just suits that room to have an pardon me, an ensuite. But in terms of uplift, a lot of people say, well, you know, uh, I can get £100, so I can get £50 a month more for an ensuite. Well, that may be true in the short term. But the moment you let that product degrade, you no longer have that value. The moment you have to upgrade that product or maintain it or refresh it, because you are going to have to do that at some point, you're going to have one hell of a bill and if you are using your income as uh, it's if you need that income to uh, as 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 a replacement for something else so you're relying on that income it's going to be very painful for you if you've got to then refinance uh, assets to be able to pay for renovations and the more expense you've got then you're going to need more money to do it in the longer term so for me there are zero benefit they don't actually provide you any benefit whatsoever in fact they're a lot more of a liability than they are um, a benefit and the uh, uh, the other thing i would say is that all of uh, there's i have come across people like me that don't specify them by default they they focus more on the design um and they will tell you that well we're actually making just as much as everybody else and we don't have them so just going to come and i've to been that. doing that yeah. for many years i've been doing that for many years i don't put them in for for the for the like I say I've given you the priorities so I've not put them in and not found any um, any uh, it's not affected anything and not only that but I've got huge amount of work from people that have put work work, work my way solely because the projects that I do um, achieve higher than average rental numbers. And I don't put them in. So, you know, I can only go by what I know. I think that's a great way of looking at it because, you know, I think the stereotype default position for a lot of landlords are put these on suite rooms in because A, they'll sell quicker and B, the tenants will stay longer and potentially C, you'll get more money. And the way that you do things, and I've seen a lot of your rooms that you've posted and, and, and you've shared uh, within the groups, as I've seen other people's rooms that have taken your advice as well. And I have to say, firstly, they are stunning. They are... Um, you know, they look absolutely amazing. And secondly, these people are giving you, you know, sort of testimonials saying that they've gone down the route of doing better rooms with better colours and better furnishings and charging more. And they're selling their rooms quicker. So it is, you know, it kind of flips all of that on its head. And, well, let me... Oh, sorry, I, I didn't no, mean on. to butt in. I hate yeah. butting in. Let me let me kind of tell you another, uh, you know, another comparable piece of evidence here. But let's look at a different industry. Let's look at computers, um, and let's look at what Steve Jobs 
Jobs did to the computer market. There was a time when everybody did every, everything the same and everything was just sold on features. So if you had a PC, the only way you could differentiate your PC was adding a better graphics card or adding a better hard drive, putting a bit more RAM in it, etc. That was the only way people could do it. On the face of it, they all looked the same. Steve Jobs, however, he spent a little bit more and thought about the design, put the put made the shell of the computer um, colourful. The internals, the actual um, the actual features, were probably less important than the actual design of the product. And he totally changed the computer market. It's taken Microsoft decades to actually realize that design is actually more important. Well, people buy the design. The features obviously need to work well, but a great graphics card isn't going to sell a computer as well as a great design. So Steve Jobs understood that perfectly well. Um, but investors, this is where my advice on on suites has to be put into a little bit of a perspective, is that most people that we're dealing with don't have that passion for design, and therefore they have to rely on features to sell the product. So yeah. if, if you really aren't design-led and, and you have no interest in design, then yes, I can understand why the default position is put in an ensuite because it's another way of adding value to a product. It's not the it's not the best way for the reasons that I gave just before, um, but it is a way of being able to say, well, I'm not that good at design. I can't do a boutique HM. I just don't have that. Um, I just don't have that skill set. I don't have the people on board to be able to do it. So if I chuck in an ensuite, hopefully, fingers crossed, that's going to have the same effect. So, you know, let, you know, you have to kind of understand things from both perspectives. I suppose the other thing is as well, Julian, regarding ensuites, I know that certain councils across the country now are going down what we call the single banding and the banding rooms with ensuites as their separate um, units of accommodation is that something that you're experiencing in your area well i could actually kind of put my foot in and say yeah that's absolutely right but i think people are misinterpreting the the uh, the regulations on that one um i think what the some councils are trying to do is to band a room as a single dwelling um if it doesn't have um cooking facilities then it's not a single dwelling so if it's got just an ensuite shower as the rules stand, as far as I understand it, it still can't be classed as a single dwelling because the person who lives in that room has to go to the communal space to be able to cook themselves dinner. So realistically and honestly, I think that that's a bit of a kind of what they called uh, an urban myth that they're putting uh, um, their banding rooms with en suites um, as a um, as a, uh, a single dwelling. as a single dwelling. And I'm sure that if they are. Um, all you have to do is um, is 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 um, is what's the word I'm trying to think of? My, I've lost the so you can lost appeal, the word. Yeah. Can you can appeal it, and they haven't got a leg to stand on. Now, the other thing I understand as well is the council are great at saying this is what we're going to do, but when you appeal it, they don't turn up and it's overturned. Mm, so that's the, that's that's the state of play as far as I understand it. So I wouldn't be afraid of putting it on suites for that reason. Um, but trust me, I've come across lots of situations where I've had to kind. Kind of, I've had to respectfully say, where are you getting this information from? Because I think that's the wrong interpretation of the rules. The same thing with um, soundproofing. You know, I've had people doing HMOs, and the and the HMO officer has, or the building regs officer has said, you need to soundproof everything, walls, ceilings, everything, and that's because they've gone in thinking this is a single dwelling. 
each 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 room is a single dwelling and that's how they've interpreted the regulations where they've been wrong it's not a single dwelling it's an hmo so this is the problem it's not and unfortunately the the, the investors are none the wiser and they have to start spending a fortune um and this is the problem is it's all down to interpretation and mm. and 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 unfortunately if so, you've got somebody there that's interpreted the rules wrong and he's wearing the he's wearing the the cap that says i'm the boss sometimes they get a little bit um you know um uh, they get a little bit cocky or they just get a little bit power um you know they they think they've got the power and they think well you know that's how i've interpreted it you've got to do it that way not caring about the fact the person's got to spend tens of thousands of pounds to do it they don't care they see these people as rich landlords that uh, they can just um, tell what to do but you have to stand up for yourself. Yeah, I agree. And um, I have mentioned this on a previous podcast that we contacted the VOA not that long ago to ask them the question to say, look, you know, get rid of these urban myths. What are the rules when it comes to single banding? And they told us, and this is verbatim, that if it's a separate unit of accommodation, which consists of a shower or washing facilities, a toilet, cooking facilities and a bed and somewhere to sit so i.e they don't have to leave the room in order to go about their life then it would be considered as a single unit of accommodation and just by putting on suites on does not meet those requirements so julian in terms of colors let's talk a little bit about colors now i'm seeing a lot of i don't know what it's called is it duck egg gray or or something a lot of grays at the moment it seems to be really fashionable um do you think gray is the new magnolia That's such a lovely question. I, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to answer that question specifically because, strictly speaking, yes, great. You could say grey is the new magnolia, but you've got to go a bit deeper than that. Really, I think it, uh, uh, you have to look at what makes good design good. Okay, and if you look at anything that's really well designed, it's not last year. It's not this year. It's every year. Good design is good design, and that's uh, with a full stop at the end of it. So when we start talking about what's this year and what's last year, I'm not really interested in what's this year and what's last year. If I'm applying a design, what I really, really try to do now is to do something that is every year, not just this year. So gray is a nice neutral color. There is no denying it, and it is nicer than magnolia. Magnolia is such a horrible neutral it's kind of it's pus cream that's what it is it's pus cream that's how i describe magnolia is pus cream um it shows absolutely no imagination whatsoever so going slightly outside and using a neutral another neutral is is always a good thing when we're talking about the color gray well the color gray can mean anything i mean you can have green grays red grays yellow grays this is the problem that a lot of people have is you say gray like it's a color well gray isn't a color actually gray is a neutral and there's so many different tones of gray you can pick a god-awful gray and mix it with another god-awful gray and you've got an awful looking property so yes gray is a lovely neutral there are some grays that are just awful but what is important is when you choose a color scheme it's a color that is not going to look like it was last year Okay, that's a fantastic answer, Julia. Thank you for that. I'm going to say one, well, say one, it's actually two words, wood chip. 
Wood chip. Is it going to oh. is it going to come back round, Julian? Is it going to make it's, another appearance? No. I, this is what I'll say about wood chip and any kind of textured wallpaper is that I my first HMO that I bought had some pretty awful textured wallpaper on pretty much every wall in the house, and I did not have the budget to strip it all off and replaster simply because I knew that the moment I stripped off the wallpaper. I was going to need to replaster the rooms. Um, so I just did the areas that I felt were the worst and kept the rest. This year, I've gone back, and trust me, it's not easy to update a property with tenants in situ. Uh, it's like having to to upgrade the M62. Now I understand why the M62 has taken so long <laughs> to do the work, because they're having to do it while people are driving on it. It's the same thing. But... As I have seen the market become way more competitive, um, for me, having something that is right, perfect, um, is a guarantee that um, you are going to be able to rent that room, rent that product ongoing into the future. Anything that is looks dated needs to go. Do you think and tenants... If, Sorry, if you can't, sorry, if you can't do it, then you have a lower grade product. Simple. Um, if you can't afford to get rid of it, there are very good ways of disguising it and making it look better. It's you have to be a bit more creative. Um, and if you don't have the money to start stripping uh, uh, um, uh, um, chip, uh, chipboard, um, sorry, not chipboard, wood chip off, then just spend a little bit of time trying to uh, work out ways to design your way out of it, which is what I've had to do on lots of occasions. I'm sure you have. It's, I mean, I don't know why, but I think maybe three or four years ago when we were out, I had a massive acquisition phase and every single property we went to had wood chip and not only wood chip, but some of it was covered in gloss paint. Now, it's hard enough to get wood chip off the wall as it is, but when it's covered in gloss paint as well, it's, it's just almost impossible. Well, I'll tell you what, fast forward 20 years and there'll be another guy having another conversation with a designer saying, you know what, I've come across so many old properties with en suites. <laughs> having to pull those on sweets out and have to start all over again so you know this is the thing same with You're laminate right. yeah same with wood on walls same with you know people are putting back stone facings onto fireplaces now whereas 10 years ago everyone was pulling it all out yeah so this is what i'm talking about design and good design is you've really got to think about stuff that's enduring and not just what's this year i hear it so oh what's this other blue is in this year um and like oh you used orange that's so last year and i'm you know i hear it all the time and actually you've got to go beyond that and really look at what is actually good design and when you start looking at that it's not like i say it's not any year it's just good design yeah and it's not something that comes easy for for a lot of people and certainly Absolutely. not for, yeah i mean certainly not for me it's not my my head isn't geared up with that i'm a i'm more of a doer rather than a, you know sort of thinking about the the bigger picture when it comes to interior design and i know it's very difficult and you actually helped us julie i'm going to give you a little plug here a couple of years ago we had a, a property it was a property we we um, demolished and rebuilt from the ground upwards and we actually struggled selling it. And Julian and I and my wife Lorraine had a conversation and you gave us some great tips. You gave us some really good advice and we implemented those. And you know what? We did sell that property probably about four or five weeks later. Um, very difficult to tell whether it was because of that, but it certainly helped and it certainly helped with us, you know, in our mindset. So, um, Julian, would you say mirrors or pictures? Artwork is, is subjective. Mirrors 
are not a mirror is a mirror so i would say that you can really get some awful artwork so get a mirror instead of getting awful artwork Mirrors instead of pictures, perfect. So that's moving away from your um, your interior design kind of thing, because I know that you're also a serious investor yourself as well, and I understand that you invest in HMOs. Is that right? It is. And you invest in something we call Minimos. Mm. Okay. So talk to me about Minimos, Julian. What is what is a Minimo, and, and why is it your chosen strategy? Okay, uh, a Minimo is an HMO that is less than five rooms. Okay, that's so a minimo. A four-bedroom one. So why would four-bedroom four... or three-bed, or some people even do a two-bed? I guess. Okay, so um, smaller. Yes, yes. And what's uh, the attraction of having a smaller HMO? Well, to be totally honest with you, it was all I could afford when I first did it. So um, this is the thing: is that I've ever since I've really started getting myself involved with the property networking, kind of in the networking arena. Because trust me, I was out of that i didn't even get involved in property networking until much later in my uh, you know my property life cycle um and it seems that every time i've done something everyone has said why are you doing it that way that's not the right way to do it you have to do it that way and every time i've gone and done the opposite it's actually worked it's actually it's instinctively what i've done and it's been perfectly and actually in actual fact to me it's been much better than the way that everyone else is saying how to do it. The, the thing that I think uh, is the truth is that people are doing larger HMOs because you can JV on a large HMO. You can step back and you can let someone else manage a larger HMO. You cannot buy a Minimo unless you want to be an active landlord. So that is why everyone is saying you've got to buy five beds or above because that's the only way you can leverage that product. It's the only way you can give it to somebody else to manage. Do you think they're more attractive, Julian, um, as a minimo for tenants? Well, from a, from a tenant perspective, um, and I've been a tenant, when you are living in a shared house, the more people that live in that property, the more chances you've got of being with somebody you don't like from somebody nicking the milk out of the fridge, from somebody not doing their washing up, from somebody leaving the bathroom in a mess, from somebody uh, causing grief with somebody else. Um, so you've got more chances of disharmony in a larger space. Um, and so for me, shared accommodation is all about sharing the space. So having a smaller space means that you've got much a much, much better chance of being able to have that harmony within that space. Um, so that is, that's, that's, that's really, that, 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 that's, I guess, that's the only important thing if you think about it, because these places are homes for people. Um, they're obviously, from our perspective, they're income producing assets, but, in, but really, for, really they are a product and that product is a home for people. Um, so if, it's a, if, it, if there's harmony within that space, you've got it right. If there is disharmony within that within that space, then you're going to have a real problem on your hands. So, from a just from a in, 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 from a management perspective, it's a lot easier to manage a space that's got harmony in it than a space that is disharmonized. So, that that's just the truth of it. So, when we talk about managing HMOs, I know that you know lots of people on the, the, the social media platforms, etc., talk about passive income through property. Mm. Do you think that's possible? 
Well, it is possible. Um, you know, if you have a, a property that someone else is managing, then it's passive. So for those that want to get into HMOs and they're a little bit concerned about the level of work that's involved, do you think it's a good idea for them to manage themselves directly to begin with or to put it under a management company? Okay. Uh, that, there, there's lots of things in that question that it need answering. Um, but the, the most important one is, is, is asset security. So is that asset going to be pr- producing income for a long period of time? And do you have control of, of, of that income? Um, the problem, um, I'm, I don't want to lose myself with this because it's a really important question. Um, the way I look at property uh, I think the HMO strategy is different to owning, let's say, a single let, because a single let is really easy to give to a property manager. And if there's anything that goes wrong, it's pretty easy to sort out. An HMO is a totally different animal. Um, and it is no longer, I don't think it's a passive asset at all. I think it's a business. Um, and which is why I said at the right at the beginning that I'm a HMO business owner, because I, I, I've been in business longer than I've been a, a, a landlord. Uh, so um, not that I'm, I'm a, not that I would say that I'm a successful business person by any means. But what I think is, is that when you're in business on your own, you have to you have to understand your customer to be good at what you're doing. Um, and I think you, you, to be able to have that contact with the customer is is the best thing that you can do in business because then you can react when things go wrong a lot quicker. You um, you understand your business inside and out. Um, you don't have anyone else telling you what's the right or wrong. And if you are in business, it, you've got to know your customer. You can't you can't be good in business unless you know your customer. Same with design. You know, if you're designing a product, you can't design a product without understanding the people that are going to use that product and how it's going to be used. And that's business the same thing you know you can't really understand your business unless you understand your customer and i think if you've got an hmo it's really important that you understand who your customer is um and i think a lot of the problem with hmos and i think a really big problem is the fact that a lot of people managing these assets don't uh, don't really care about the customer so as you go forward into the longer term there's a really high probability that that asset is just going to start getting run down and become of less value and less attractive to the customer. And the person managing it doesn't care. It's not their business. They can just go somewhere else and find a new customer that's got a new, a new product and they can just let yours go. So that's the problem with letting someone else run your business. That's why I like that's why I like Minimos because I run that asset. It's my business. I know my customer. If there's anything goes wrong, they come back to me and they tell me straight away. I can deal with it. If there's any changes in the market, I know and I can react to those changes. If I need to change research, do a bit of research and development on the product, change it slightly so that it's in tune with the market, I can do it very quickly and I don't have any problems with that. If I've got some really big heavy assets, that you know, the bigger the business, the harder it is to change. So, you know, that's the it's all wrapped up into one. I I do believe, firmly believe that if you do not manage your business yourself and you do not understand your customer, then there's a much, much higher risk of somebody messing it up. What do you think the future is for HMOs, Julian? I think it's really good if you understand your customer. Unfortunately, most people 
don't care about the customer. They only care about the money. So, Julian, talking of, of tenants and, and futurizing the business, etc., what is your tenant demographic? My te- and a lot of people def- uh, define tenants as being professional, blue collar, white collar, etc. Um, the world is a different place today than it was ten years ago. There is no such thing as a secure job anymore. I think when you're a young person, you can move from this job to that job. The the, the type of tenants that I have are young people with a fairly responsible position um, and who have a job and care about having a job. And how do you source your tenants? Spare room. Is that the only platform you use? I have used uh, have used um, open rent, and that's worked on a couple of occasions. But you know what? I mean, uh, I've now got fourteen rooms, and I've only lost three tenants. I've only had three tenants move out, and one tenant that's moved back in was one of my original tenants that moved out in the first place. So I don't really, I don't really actually have too much churn to worry about. And if I do have somebody leave, I, the first thing I'll do is put the room onto spare room and, and text all my tenants to say, if you know anyone that wants to move in, let me know and I'll give you a hundred quid. You know what? And I think that's testament to um, the quality of the rooms that you're providing because, you know, people are not going to want to move out because they're not going to get anything any better, I imagine, in your area, unless, of course, you're teaching them how to do it. Julian? Well, well, as I I said before, there's harmony in my houses. Um, People, the, the people that live in them, it's their home. You don't really want to move out of your home unless you have to. Absolutely. And, you know, and that's what we're creating, aren't we? We're creating homes for people rather than just trying to um, create money for ourselves. And that's one of our, um, our, our company mottos as well. You know, we are creating nice accommodation um, and safe accommodation for people that can't afford to buy themselves. Because if they could, then of course, they, they probably would. There's a lot of talk and a lot of pictures that I'm seeing at the moment about co-living um, and what I'm seeing are, you know, sort of um, almost coffee shop type um, communal areas um, where people can sort of like veg out on a beanbag and, and talk to their friends. And the ones that I'm seeing, the photos that I'm seeing also seem to be extremely high end. Is that something that uh, you think you might get involved with in the future? Well, um, I'm very careful uh, not to follow trends and to uh, avoid that altogether. I know, I know the gentleman, I know the person you're talking about, and I really admire what he's doing. I've actually walked in, but you can count the number of that type of product on one finger. That there isn't anyone else doing that, um, and there's a reason why because it's virtually impossible to duplicate virtually impossible to duplicate which is why he's doing so well um uh, it it, it, what what else can i say it's a standalone Mm. product not everyone is doing it so it it certainly looks i I don't think i don't think that's i don't think your perception of you know everyone's doing it is right one person's doing it Mm. everyone else is doing something that's kind of similar but not the same um so that's all i can say about that i've i've been into uh those uh, that product and what i can say is it's absolutely bomb proof it is commercial grade and the person that is doing it has a design background Mm. um and is like any really great designer is focusing on the tiniest of detail yeah, I have seen a few different people doing it. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't particularly referring to one person, um, but people yeah, there are, there are. That look between the lines. I've seen people that look like they're doing it, mm. but if you if you look carefully, it is not the same thing. 
Okay. There's only one person doing it properly. Brilliant. Julian, if you could give three tips to a new investor, what would they be? What would your best tips you could offer? The first tip would be go in with the attitude that you want to create a great product. That's the first one. It's a business. Yep. You want to create a great business. Um, not that you want to just make uh, a money that's going to replace your income. It's, it, it, it's the wrong attitude to have if you want to be successful long term. You've got to think of it as a business and you've got to think, I'm doing this to create a great business and I want to create something great for my customers. Um, and I don't really need to give any other advice. It's a great on tip. That. I don't think that there are any other tips to give. That's a great tip. I also know that you do have a product as well, don't you, that, um, that you can offer to people in terms of uh, interior design, um, and they can buy that directly from you. Is that right? Well, there's a couple of... Actually, I don't really push that product too much anymore because um, uh, it's actually a really good product, um, but I, I do my workshops and I do my home study courses that I think are probably better, better, better. Uh, but I've created a... A book that gives away all my secrets basically it's a design manual that gives everything from paint colors to what what furniture to buy what cushions go with the furniture what artwork goes with the cushions and how to create unified interior themes and there's seven really distinctive um, individual themes like graphic designers mood boards but with all of the ingredients put onto them um, so that if you just really don't want to think about what color I should use and what tiles I should go with that and what light fittings I can put in, then it just gives you all of the answers. And I've spent years pretty much developing and refining that, those designs. Um, and there's months and months and months of work put into it. So that's the one product. I've actually stopped selling the digital version because people were kind of sending them off to their mates and um and i and i've and it's and it's actually commercially sensitive information so there's you know um trade suppliers you know and and people think you know what gray should i use well and that's like an off-the-cuff question it's like going into a into a louis vuitton and saying well where do you where do you get your bags where do you get your bags made um you know it's like that kind of a question it's it's a usp issue um so i do sell that product it's only available as a printed in a printed form um and it comes with a um access to a forum where if you've got any questions you can post onto that forum and i'm on there and uh, everyone else that's done the training is also on there and they can answer your questions so it kind of gives away like i say gives away all of my trade secrets um and i do a one-day workshop where again i teach people a method of renovating and designing product that if you stick to it you can't go wrong um and because i've i've kind of teach what only what you need to know um people have gone away and they're totally they're not designers at all they're money people but they're able to be creative and actually have a bit of fun with the process and have the confidence to start moving outside of the magnolia zone and start creating stuff that's actually really nice and as a result amazingly they say well i've actually had people have a look and they thought it was brilliant and i'm at rented that room within a day and i'm making more money so there's lots of people out there that will sell you strategies but the only thing that really matters at the end is what the customer thinks of your product. So this actually is a way of creating a great product. And I do my one-day workshops, and I've actually turned the workshop into a home study course as well. So how um, can people, um, if you want to find out more information about any of those products, Julian, mm. how can they reach you? 
I've got a website, uh, which is www.iconliving, I-C-O-N-L-I-V-I-N-G.co.uk, iconliving.co.uk. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm, uh, that's it. That's what, Fantastic. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. Uh, do you read books, Julian? Is there something that's a part of your life? Um, in truth, I wish I, I wish I could sound all academic. I, I leave the reading side to, to my wife. The only thing that I do really is I research design. That, that's what I tend to do a lot at the moment. I just research good designers, uh, look at concepts, understanding why designers do what they do. So I spend a lot of time researching stuff like that more okay. than anything. And the last question to you, Julian, cat or dog? Uh, I have a cat. I'd love a dog. Oh, so both. A bit split. No, I don't have a dog. I used to have a dog. I, I'd love a dog, but I just don't have the time to look after a dog. Cat doesn't need any looking after. My cat is basically just all it does is tells me I want food. I want to go out. <laughs> and that's it. They don't do anything else. So, but I asked somebody yeah, the same cat, question last week and they said cat, fish. So, you know... <laughs> Fantastic, Julian. It's been an absolute pleasure to interview you today. You are an absolute wealth of knowledge. And just to reiterate for the listeners, if you want to contact Julian, you can grab him through his website, which is www.iconliving.co.uk. And all of Julian's um, um, services and products are available on there for you. So, Julian, it's been an absolute pleasure today. I'm sure that the listeners have got massive value. And thank you so much for uh, giving up your afternoon. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.